right, hello and welcome to the Living in Jesus podcast. My name is Ross O'Hare and I'll be your host today. Living in Jesus is a podcast designed to explore the depths of what it means to live a grace-filled life with Jesus as the focus. On today's podcast, we will explore the way God designed humanity and what that design for humanity has meant for each of us personally. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and here we go. Joining me today is uh, Bo Brezina. Hello, everyone. And Margalina Lapore. Hi. And Greg Brezina. Good afternoon. How are you guys doing today? Great. Good. Good. All right. I, I'm at peace amongst the stress. <laughs> Good. Awesome. But first, before we begin, uh, C.S. Lewis had a great quote on how God designed humans that I thought might be a good start to our discussion today. Here's what he said. God invented us as man invents an engine. A car is made to run on gas, and it would not run properly on anything else. Now God designed the human machine to run on God. God himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn, or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. And that comes from mere Christianity. And so with that in mind, let's take some time here at the beginning to discuss the way the Bible talks about how God designed us as humans. Bo, can you start us out with that? Sure, absolutely. I love that quote from C.S. Lewis because it really makes me wonder, well, what if we're designed to run on God, we have to understand the design. And when I think of design verses, of course, I think of 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, that talks about us being spirit, soul, and body, three parts in one. And we know that God's a spiritual being, and, and if we're going to run on Him, we have to have that spiritual aspect of who we are. Of course, everyone's familiar with the physical body. I mean, that one's easy. You can see it, and we see people express themselves frequently. And I think it's a little bit easy, easier even to grasp the idea of the soul because we see emotions come out of people, their facial expressions, their words. We see them making choices that impact how they act. And so that's a little bit easy to see um, is the spiritual part the spirit level that Paul talks about in Thessalonians is the part we can't see, but it's so essential to understand. Yeah. I would agree with that on the three parts. And I think it's essential that we understand those three parts and how they function. It's your basic theology. Uh, scripture talks about there's only one foundation that's in Jesus Christ. And if your foundation is straight, then every aspect of your life, your personal life, your married life, your grandparenting life, your parenting life, your financial life, your vocational life, your vacation life, every area of life is built on the foundation of Christ. And if we have a crack in our foundation, if our belief about human nature or how God has designed us is, is not correct, then we're going to have a crack in our foundation and everything above it is going to be cracked. And, yeah. so, and that's what we deal with here is yeah. in, in discipling is how people have worry, fear, frustration, anxiety, worry. And those are all crack comes from cracks in the foundation of not understanding how God has designed human nature to be. Sure. Yeah. Even the idea of, or the truth of that it is the image of Christ that we are made in our spirit image is like his just the Hebrew word of it just means a shadow or a shape of, and I love that. It really adds some context around that my spirit actually is him. And so I can live out of that, that it isn't me anymore trying to do these things. And so I really love that that is incorporated, that he thought about image and likeness. Yeah. So, I mean, we've, we discussed that it's three parts, so body, soul, and spirit. And like you said, Bo, obviously the body is the easily, the most easy to see, understand, experience. 
Um, how do you think that um, we can better clarify how the soul and the spirit make up us as humans, and why are, why are they separated? Why are they different? What you know? How does that help create sure. the picture? Well, I mean, I think we first have to, when we think about soul and spirit, we have to take note of Hebrews 4, that really we can't separate the soul and spirit, only the Word of God can, but yet he's given us enough of insight, I think, to start understanding that he's a spiritual being. And for us to be made in his image, like Marlena was talking about, we would have to have a spiritual aspect of who we are. And yet the scriptures do talk about us having this mind, you know, setting your mind, uh, taking thoughts captive, the ability to think, process thoughts. So we have to understand that as well, the will to make choices. And so when we look at the scriptures and we see that uh, those things are, are separate, I think it's helpful so that we can start understanding that my personality, my mind, my emotions don't determine my identity. It's really going to come from the spiritual part of me, mm. which is Christ in me. Yeah. That's where the Spirit of God has been poured. And I think understanding that in the scriptures gives us a little clarity so that we can start understanding where identity comes from, which is we believe is the Spirit. We are children yeah. of God. That's our identity. And if we're going to be children of God, He's a spiritual being, we would have to find our identity on that spiritual level. And so to be able to understand the difference between the spirit and the soul, I think is essential, knowing that, yes, we are limited because only God can really separate the two because they flow in and out of communication and and response. Yeah. So they're always working together, but what really breaks us down is at the core of who we are is the spiritual aspect of us. Absolutely. And we know we were made, for instance, on the soul level with the mind. The scripture talks about setting your mind on things above to take every thought captive. And so we know that they were made to communicate with each other, to be dependent, interdependent, knowing also that the spirit is not going to brainwash us and make us think whatever we get Mm -hmm. a choice. Uh, And there's plenty of scriptures from Joshua, choose you this day whom you will serve Mm -hmm. to the implied choice that I could take a thought captive, which means I have a decision of whether, uh, and that's how the soul is cooperating with the spirit. Yeah. Which then in turn, we show with our body and our actions and our choices. Absolutely. So we take that thought captive. We listen to the spirit and the spiritual part of us that determines who we are. And we make a choice to believe that truth. Obviously that's going to come out in uh, loving and kind ways through our physical body. And so we've, you know, we established that we're three parts and we feel like there's quite a bit of biblical backing for that. But um, I know that there are other views out there that sh- that say that we're dichotomous or two parts. So, Greg, what can you say in terms of why it is that we believe the Bible says that we're three parts? Well, yeah, there's two primary uh, theological beliefs out there that man is a dichotomist, which means that uh, the spirit and and the soul are part of each other, are they're one. Okay, and whenever uh, whenever Scripture talks about a person relating to the spiritual realm or to heaven, the heavenlies, they're talking about the, the spirit. And when they're talking about the relating to the earth, then they're talking about the soul and that they are one. You know, and they say that you can't be dogmatic mm-hmm. about a trichotomist or dichotomist. Yeah. And, 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 of course, I'm dogmatic. <laughs> I believe, he, like Hebrews 4.12 says, that it is the, the word of God that separates or divides the spirit from the soul. Therefore, if you if they're divided by God's word, then they're separate. And uh, that's why I'm a trichotomist. Whereas if you're a dichotomist and God said, in the day you eat there, if you surely die, what died? 
Did the physical body die? No. Did the personality of the person die? No. They they still talked and walked and behaved and chose, and they still felt. Uh, Then what died? Yeah. Well, the spirit died. Well, if the soul and spirit are synonymous, are they part of each other, are there one, then if the spirit dies, the soul has got to die. Right. And so that's why I'm a trichotomist. And if you're a trichotomist, now you have spirit, and the separate from the spirit is the soul, but they're related to each other, and the soul is related to the physical body. Now, if your spirit dies, and a spirit can't die because it's immortal, a spirit still exists, or, or, or a, a spirit doesn't die like the human body dies. The human body dies, it returns to dirt. Sure. The spirit dies, it loses life. Well, what life? what is life? Uh, Zoe is eternal life, and it's life as God has it. And the only way you can have life as God has it is to have the Holy Spirit or have God living within you. In the New Testament, it says several times that we are the temple of God. Well, where's the temple of God in man? It's within the spirit because God is spirit. And our soul can communicate with God through the spirit. If you have the Holy Spirit, you're a child of God or have life. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, then you're without life or you're dead Mm -hmm. and your spirit just exists. And so that's why I'm a trichotomist is because it clearly explains how we function, how human nature was designed to function. I think another argument to take into consideration for trichotomist is that if we believe that every word was breathed by God of Scripture, which we do, then there is three distinct Greek words for spirit, soul, and body. Mm-hmm. And those are the three distinct words that we've already mentioned from Thessalonians. There's also, uh, you know, dichotomists would come back and argue, well, there's sometimes where it seems that soul and spirit are interchangeably used. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do believe that, as Dad said, that the three distinct aspects gives us a greater clarity around how God designed us to function, and it's, it's laid out in Scripture. And so, you know, the material-immaterial argument, it probably goes back at least as far as the ancient Greeks, you know. And so I could see why a dichotomist would kind of lean towards that because there's a part of me I can't see. Obviously, you can't see the soul, Mm -hmm. you can't see the spirit, so it would kind of make logical sense. But from a scriptural basis, I believe the trichotomist, the three distinct words in the Greek, gives us something to pause and think about. So obviously this is a um, issue that isn't about salvation, but I think it does uh, affect our experience and how we experience life and understand who we are and where that's established. So apart from that, Marlene, why is it important that people understand that there is a distinction and you know why it is that a three-part human is important to know how we're designed? I think because if we don't understand how we're designed the way God created us, there can be either an animalistic mentality where I'm just going to do whatever feels good or that flesh or that desire. But when we understand that the spirit and soul are separated, maybe my soul or the the feelings at the moment might be overwhelming, but my spirit is saying, this is not 
what I should, so I don't have to give into the soul Mm -hmm. or I don't have to give into the flesh that's in the soul. So, um, I think it's huge in walking abundant and walking free to understand that there is very much a couple of things going on here and knowing that we don't have to just give into whatever. Recently I read an article where someone was talking about identity and they were trying to find uh, a definition of identity that centered around, you know, it's so complex in their, in their description, whether it was a soul level, my personality, I'm a, I'm a proactive leader type of personality outgoing, Mm -hmm. you know, or I'm a quiet introverted type of person. And that's all well and good. And that would be a identity level in the soul. But an understanding that my identity is derived from Christ being in me, a spiritual level that's not dependent on something that some characteristic of me or how I display it, but it's based on him and the characteristic of what he's done and what he's established is very freeing, I think, in a practical living kind of way. Yeah. I think Scripture is, is clear, especially what Margalino was saying about being able to stabilize your soul. Uh, if mm-hmm. The soul is very similar to a roller coaster. Yeah. It's up and down emotionally. Sure. Okay? The spirit, if you separate the soul and the spirit in the trichotomy model, then you have the Holy Spirit within our spirit. The Holy, We're the temple of God, mm-hmm. and the Holy Spirit's in our temple. And if we submit, like James 4, 7 says, submit to God and resist the devil, if we submit our will to the Holy Spirit who lives within us, then we will experience the fruit of the Spirit, like love, joy, peace, especially control of self. And if you have control of self, then the soul can be managed in the sense of maintaining control over your emotions, where Mm. you're not a roller coaster anymore because you're living out of the spirit, out of Christ's life, mm-hmm. or our focus, which you said is living Christ's life, and he is our focus. Yeah. You're focused upon him. Therefore, he enables us, he empowers us by his Holy Spirit to bring the will under the subjection of, of his rule within my life. And when I do, then I behave just like Christ. Mm. In fact, Scripture says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation is overtaking you, but that which is common to man. With the temptation, God is faithful to give us a way of escape. If we have a, a way of escape, escaping temptation, then we don't have to sin. Mm-hmm. In fact, Romans 6, 6 backs that up also. It says that we're no longer slaves to sin. So if we submit our will to the Holy Spirit, who's within our spirit, and apart from our soul, now our soul can come under control of the spirit. And then, then our soul will control our physical body and we'll actually behave like Christ. That's where design is so important. Because if you don't understand how you were designed, your identity, where it comes from, how the soul functions in that, how the spirit functions and how the body, then the temptation, especially in the Christian walk, is just to focus on behavior. I've got to stop sinning got to get better. I've got to do something to get closer. All these questions that people wrestle with in terms of practical Christian living become very complex if I don't understand how I was designed. And um, I know I lived that and you spin your wheels and you ride the roller coaster that dad's talking about. And it's a challenge. So this, this subject is such a foundational, foundational building block, like dad said at the beginning, to give us a firm foundation to experience peace. Yeah. Yeah. The experience to me obviously is what stands out the most of what you guys are saying. 
Um, we obviously experience most of our life in our body and in soul, but it's the spirit that directly impacts that and the choices we make. Now, that's how it affects us and clarifies how we're designed. What, is, what does all this say about who God is, that he had this design, that he made us this way? How does that help us, tying in back to what we talked about last week, our concept of God, how does that help us see him more clearly and understand him better? God is spirit. Yeah. Okay, that was the concept last week. God is spirit. And because he is spirit, we have to have a spirit to communicate with him. Mm. And then we have to have the energy that enables us to create communication with God. We have to have a receiver and a transmitter. And so the Holy Spirit is our energy within our spirit that enables our spirit to commune with God. And that, that he designed us to fulfill that purpose, Go, going back to a personal relationship with him and have an intimacy in the relationship. The only way I, my soul can have intimacy with God is talking to him through the Spirit. Of course, now, since redemption, is in the name of Jesus. To me, it speaks of the incredible love that God has, that he would pour his life into a one of his creatures, you know, mm. the Romans five talks about the Holy Spirit being poured in our heart. Yeah. It's just beyond my comprehension that he mm. would give us his spiritual life. It's incredible giving, gracious, uh, trusting to entrust his life and, and to live in and through us. That was the original design, obviously, mm-hmm. is just, I just cannot really wrap my mind around that. Yeah. And to me, that shouts love. Yeah. I would agree with the love part. That was exactly what I was thinking too. And for the sense of that he creates us with very specific personalities in that soul level. And he gives us a mind and will and emotions. And I love that he very much allows us the ability to express those things, but then bringing his spirit to dwell alongside or with that soul. Mm-hmm. It's just, it gives a context or a level to God that he is not a dictator forcing us into a conformity, Hmm. but he makes us uniquely like this so that we then can express in very unique ways through our body. So, yeah. And that speaks to intimacy. I mean, that he's not um, a dictator mandating a robotic type of, but he's inviting us to feast on, to plug into, to relish the the power of the spirit that dad was talking about in our spiritual. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he's inviting us, not making the choice for us, inviting us into choosing him, into receiving that love mm-hmm. speaks to first his power, but also to his security and who he is, that yeah. he doesn't have to make us a robot to make sure that we behave properly. It makes me think of first Corinthians 13, you know, love, believes all things, hopes all things, patient, kind, all the beautiful aspects. And to me, it's just a, a beautiful sign of the love and trust of God himself. Now, Greg, you said earlier, you brought in the story of Adam and Eve and how when they ate from the tree, something had to die. Well, we're talking about, you know, there's a way to look at this, to how we were originally designed, that our spirit was alive to God, our soul was alive, our body had, you know, wasn't decaying, it wasn't anything wrong with it. So there was an original design to how God created things. And with the fall, it brought about a dead spirit and the soul that merely existed and a body that's decaying. And so we have some transitions and that's where we're born into. That's what we experience is that death and that initially when we're born, we're all born dead spiritually. And so since that's our filter or lens that we view life at before we become saved, how does knowing how we were originally designed 
Um, how does that impact you guys initially? Because obviously we have a different filter now today. Well, Scripture says that by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are in Christ Jesus. Colossians 2.10, we're complete in Christ. Romans 5, 17 through 19, he has gifted us with his righteousness. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. We have been given everything to life and godliness, 2 Peter 1, 3. And so you have all these, these identity statements of who we are after we come to Christ. Mm -hmm. So the impact is that where am I perfected for all time? Is my soul perfected for all time? No, my st soul still chooses to sin. My soul still chooses to think sinful thoughts. And so the perfection has to be in the spirit. And if I'm a dichotomist, there's two parts, then my soul is sinful. That makes my spirit sinful. And then you hear people say, I'm a sinner saved by grace. And there's not going to be any sinners saved by grace in heaven, only saints saved by grace mm. in heaven. And so it, it, it's dealing with that identity statement. How it practically works in my life is that the Holy Spirit has come in to live within my spirit. And, that, and Scripture says that. I mentioned it already about we are a temple of God. And the Holy Spirit indwells us. Jesus said in John, John 16, 13, I think, he said, I, I've got to go so, so I can send the Spirit to live within you, to guide you into all truth. Well, if you're a trichotomist, the Holy Spirit enters my spirit. And my spirit, the Holy Spirit couldn't live in my spirit if, if I wasn't perfect in my spirit. Mm. Because that's where I'm a new creation. Now my soul, my personality is the same as it was before I came to Christ. Now I'm in the process of trusting the Spirit, trusting God uh, who lives within me. And that's why James 4, 7 to me is the simplest Christian verse describing Christianity, which is submit to God or surrender your will to God, resist the devil and he'll flee. And so that's how practical it is for me. All I have to do is because my Spirit is perfect, the Holy Spirit's in there, so all I have to do is yield to Him. And as I yield to him, he empowers me with the love that Margalina and Bo was talking about to be a lover, to love him with all my heart, to love the way he's designed me, and then to love others as, as I love the way he's designed me. Yeah. You know, in the conversation with people and describing this and talking about this, I've had people say, you know, in terms of God not joining or indwelling us because we're still sinners, you know, I've heard people say, well, I still sin, and, and if God lives inside of me, then he must be able to join himself with sin. And so I think that's why it's so important to have that distinction of exactly where and how God indwells us. Take an example of all the Old Testament scriptures where they're talking about the Ark of the Covenant. Anybody touching it would die, right? right? And so just the holiness and God's holiness, what implications it has of coming into contact or joining with something that holy, we would immediately die if we were not perfected inside where God could take residence within us. And I think that's a really good clarifying point because I think a lot of people struggle with viewing their actions and say, well, God still lives in me and I sin all the time. And I think that's yeah. good to clarify. Well, I think uh, Hebrews 12 where it says God's word divides the spirit and soul, I think that's why it's so essential yeah. that we see that division although I can't divide it, the Word mm -hmm. of God divides it, that the Holy Spirit is not associated with our sin in our soul. Yeah. But even in that, it's already forgiven before. It's by the blood of Christ, it's already removed from there. For me, I mean, understanding these things has had a great practical 
You know, I think I look back on my life journey. I didn't understand my design when I was a child or even as an adolescent. You mean you weren't born with that knowledge? No. <laughs> and that references what you're talking about. We were born after sin, obviously. Yep. And so we, we didn't experience the original design, which yep. is what we started off by talking about. So as a result, not understanding my identity, who I was, I set out on a journey to discover that. And of course, I've tried aspects of my personality, mm-hmm. uh, whether I'm introverted, extroverted, or funny, or not funny, or smart, or things that I've achieved, perhaps, accomplishments, th- aspects of my physical body, you know, being male, or being athletic, or being intellectual, uh, as far as my intellectual capacity. And it, what it, it what it led to is kind of a spinning kind of roller coaster. We've referenced that analogy it, because I didn't know who I was or mm-hmm. what was going to determine who I was, which leads me would lead me into the, what you're you reference people struggling with. You know, how could God be joined to a sinner? Because I'm basing my identity on my behavior, mm-hmm. my sin. So the focus then becomes, well, I got to clean up the sin thing then. And how do I do that? And uh, when I started understanding that my identity was derived from the spiritual part of being a spiritual being, it starts to bring clarity and peace because my identity was originally based on what Bo could do. Mm-hmm what Bo can accomplish or what Bo would, what characteristics of who Bo's personality was, well, that was all on my shoulders. I had to maintain it or improve it or work hard at it. Even mm-hmm. spiritual things, Bible reading, mm-hmm. uh, how good a quote unquote a Christian I was based on church attendance, abstaining from sin, generosity, whatever character quality you want to, was really at the end of the day, not understanding my identity was a, a grasp for security through the idea that I was a good Christian or that I was lovable. Mm. Understanding, wait a minute, my identity comes from the spiritual part of who I am, Christ in me, that makes me a child of God. That's based on his performance. That's based on his faithfulness. That's based on his effort, so to speak. That's based on his word and he never changes. That frees me up to enjoy the benefits of this abundant life in me, rest in the identity. And then guess what happens to my behavior? Once I started to understand this was it started to coming in line or because I started understanding and basing my identity around what he said about me. And so it was freeing. But since I didn't understand my identity, when I was born into this world, I went on this roller coaster ride of really futility. Unfortunately, it wore me out. Yeah, I know you've mentioned a few times the story about how much like of the Bible you memorized or different ways. You know, what was some of the ways that you felt that you tried to find life apart from God and try to figure out your identity? Well, a a good, a big thing was what it meant to be a good Christian. And that was always a moving target because yes, we memorized not just, you know, Bible verses and not just books of chapters of the Bible, but entire books, which is wonderful. And I think that's a beautiful thing, but it was this treadmill idea of I've got to do something to be better because I'm not a good enough Christian because I'm sinning still. And obviously there has to be something I'm doing. I'm not faithful enough. So it was always a moving target yeah. of behavior to try to achieve an identity statement of a quote unquote good Christian, whatever that mm-hmm. meant. Yeah. And so I, don't, I think that was what yep. you were asking. And uh, that wore me out. And because that's the way the world tells us to develop identity is you behave well, we'll give you a title of good. 
Right. Yeah. You screw up enough, we'll start taking that title away. Maybe we'll give you another one about mess up or failure, failure, yeah. bad person, bad, bad yeah. Christian. Yeah. yeah, I think the understanding being a temple of the Holy Spirit of Jesus growing up, it was very much a, like Bo says, a performance-based thing, more of, oh, don't get tattoos or don't get piercings or what are you putting into your body or that type of thing. But really coming around and understanding fully what that means to be a temple is not a legalistic practice. It is a, it's a being, like it's, it's a state that you're in. And so that he's actually living inside of you and it doesn't change no matter what happens or what goes on that he's still there. And that is what I love. I love our example that we use with the tabernacle that was given to Moses, the design that was given to Moses, because it just beautifully represents that outer court being our body, the inner court being the soul. And then that Holy of Holies was that spirit, that Holy Spirit, God met the high priest Mm -hmm. as a friend. Like that is beautiful to me that my friend, he's literally my friend that Mm -hmm. dwells inside. And so I don't know. It changed absolutely the way I behaved. I didn't try to perform for Christian acceptance or awards or, mm-hmm. oh, you know all the verses or you're <laughs> the fastest at Bible drill or whatever it was growing up. Yeah. So, Well, it's funny. All three of you have spoken on the concept of identity and how that's central to our design, right? Because I think it's a journey that all of us, like Bo, you said, we all go on, whether we know it or not, we're trying to find out who we are. Mm-hmm. And I think that is one of the most key points of why our design is important because it establishes that. And it establishes it in something, as you all have said, that doesn't change, right? And so the beauty of that is that we can actually know who we are for the rest of time, not based on our performance, our behavior, our status, what we do, what we don't do, our failures, anything like that. It's based on the unchanging work of Christ and what he's done on the cross. And the beauty of that is it allows all of us to experience a peace and a rest that if you try it any other way, you won't experience. Like you said, Bo, like it's a, it's a treadmill, it's a roller coaster, it's a tiring life that I think we could all spend hours talking about the stories of what, how we tried that. But to me, that's where those dots connect because if we truly start to understand where the foundation of who we are begins, we can actually rest. We can actually have peace and enjoy life, actually. Live an abundant life. So now that we've talked about that, established that, how, how do we handle, obviously some of this we've explained it as best we can, but some people may have questions or along the way, we've all had questions about how we're designed. What are some of the things that you guys have struggled with or challenged you or just questions that you over the time have been like, huh, I wonder how that works. Is there any parts of this discussion on how we're designed that have stood out to you or that you still continue to wrestle with? Well, I think one of the hardest things to, to grasp is we live in a physical world we are, you know, we're born into a physical world, and then God, through His Scripture, starts talking to us about real your identity. This core of who you are is a spiritual mm-hmm. entity. I can't see that. Yeah, <laughs> and that's why Paul says in Corinthians that we walk by not what we see; we walk by what we don't see. But that's the biggest challenge. I can tangibly measure some kind of success, say in school, uh, straight A's. Yeah. 
I must be a success. I've got, I've got it right there on paper, right? Mm-hmm. I can tangibly measure how many Bible verses I memorize or how often I go to church or how much money I give. I must be an obedient Christian, a good Christian, right? I cannot measure tangibly on the world how righteous Christ is and the righteousness that he's given me by yeah. putting himself. And so to me, that is, uh, you know, recently one of the things the Holy Spirit's been talking to me about is how wanted I am. Well, I don't always feel wanted. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't feel wanted a lot of times. Yeah, He says it's true. It never changes. It's a constant. Well, that is the part of growing in grace is growing and using your faith eyes to see the unseen world of the spiritual dimension of who God says I am in my original design Mm -hmm. and saying, yeah, I know everything else in the world that I can feel with my fingers says otherwise, but you say that I'm righteous, I'm complete, I'm holy because of my design, Mm -hmm. what Christ did on the cross and his indwelling spirit. And so it's starting to believe my design is what God says it is and then walk out of that. That's one of the challenging things for me. Yeah, that reminds me, you know, a little bit of the challenge of even understanding our concept of God is, you know, there's so many things that that he is and says about how much he loves us, how much he relates to us. That's hard to believe or grasp because we don't always feel like it, which, again, helps us understand if we're if we know how we're designed, that our soul experiences feelings that may not be connected to what's real. Mm-hmm. Then, like you said, it can be a challenge sometimes if I don't always feel loved or wanted or related to or needed. But God does those things all the time. Yeah. And understanding that design and grounding your faith in what the God's word says about you mm-hmm. is the journey of growth, yeah. you know, that we're on. And that's, that's challenging. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I've struggled with on and off over the years is uh, the sovereignty of God and the will of man. You know, you have universalism wherever all roads lead to God and, and you have it in, in Christianity. Now you've got inclusionism which is uh, everybody is saved in Christ. They just don't know it yet. And that deals with the sovereignty of God and the will of man. And you have all different denominational beliefs about the sovereignty of God and the will of man. And what has really helped me in that is what Bo just mentioned about the faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, God has given everybody a measure of faith. In fact, God has given every man everything uh, to receive Christ because without will, there's no love. And so... Uh, each has been given a measure of faith, and we can invest our faith wherever we want to. If we invest our faith in receiving Christ, then the Holy Spirit comes in and births our spirit a second time. And now the Holy Spirit lives in me, and as I submit to him, I'm enabled by his power, as I've already said, uh, in living the Christian life. How, how does that work with the sovereignty of God and, and the will of man? And it's God has given each a will and each a faith, and it, it, it goes with design the way God has designed us. He's designed us perfectly with a spirit to be able to communicate with him and a body to communicate with each other. And, and that's what we're doing now. And we place our faith wherever we choose to. And you can place your faith in Buddha and, and being an atheist or, or being an inclusionist, or you can place it in Christ. And as we do that, we're born again. We have the Holy Spirit living in our spirit. Now we can live out of the spirit or what you said, our focus being on Christ. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of times I think the the challenge for people is just receiving it, like you said. I think there's a lot of times where people think they have to achieve it. There's something they have to do. There's a part of them where they have to earn it. Um, And I think there's a challenge for a lot of people to understand how God's sovereignty is set up the way that we're designed 
to receive it, and it's simply that it's a gift, a lot of times that can be very difficult. Well, if God if God gives us faith, Romans 12, 3, he gives everybody a measure of faith. And so if God gives us faith, there's no reason not to believe in Jesus or to receive Jesus. So we are without excuse. But he's still sovereign. He's already set the boundary if you don't receive Christ. Yep. Awesome. I think um, one of the things I love to say most to the girls I get to meet with is you're not counted out, like because of your past or because of the things that you've done. And I'm the emotional one, so I might tear up over this. We all know this. But I think that, and this gets a little bit into the great exchange, but what Jesus did for us on the cross of that removal of sin, but it filters right back into design of, again, that Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you that your actions don't count you out. Hmm. And and Christ is, and the Holy Spirit is constantly reminding us of our righteousness. And so we're being convicted on that righteousness to sin no more. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think that was the hardest thing for me to come around is that he would still use my story, no matter what my past had looked like. And I love to say that to someone sitting before me saying, I just, there's no coming back from this. And I'm going, but that Holy Spirit, that design, the, your identity is sealed. It's done. So you can you can choose to believe the truth or you can just know the truth and continue in the feelings and in the walk right now. Yeah. You know, Paul talks about, or the writer of Hebrews talks about anchor for the soul. And if I don't have a clear understanding of design, then it's going to be, to Margalina's point, I'm, I'm going to get all mixed up on, well, my behavior and what I did and what people, you know, know about what I did and what I know about I did. And then, you know, I don't have a, a firm anchor. I'm going to be moved all mm. over the place. But so for me, practically understanding that my identity comes from the spirit and that, you know, Ezekiel says that he gave us a new spirit. He put his Holy Spirit within us. It gives me this confidence, this anchor that when I am facing something or I've, I've maybe perhaps made a poor choice, a sinful choice, that Christ is the one who defines who I am. And what that does is before this choice is even made, a lot of times the spirit is already confirming that, but that's not who you are. Mm -hmm. That thought isn't from me. That thought isn't consistent with that's a sinful thought. And therefore being anchored in this idea that I, my design, my identity is anchored in the spiritual part of me. That's not something that I've achieved, earned or created myself. It gives me this confidence to walk in obedience. Yes, you're right, God. I'm a child of God. That's not consistent with who I am. And being real clear about design uh, really helps me in practical uh, Christian victory mm-hmm. uh, type of questions. Yeah. And it comes back to the idea of trust again. Do we trust what God is saying about us? And, you know, I think that that is always at the core of what we talked about with last week in concept of God and this week in how we're designed is that trusting of who God is and the way he's made us is actually the reality, not maybe how we feel or what we've experienced or what we've been taught but that what God says is what, what's real, what yeah. we can found our lives on. And we can have confidence because uh, we know that Jesus faced the same exact struggle. Right. Uh, you know, I've been reflecting on Luke uh, 3, where Jesus is led out into the wilderness. And if you look at all three, the famous passage on temptation, if you look at the, all three temptations, if you are the son of God is kind of the then move to the physical world throw yourself off of the top of the temple or Mm. turn a stone into bread or bow down before me. And so we know that um, this is a very crucial 
the in, the enemy, Satan, even was trying to to go there with with Jesus about his what was going to be the fundamental determiner of mm. his identity, and so we're not alone. Yeah. That brings up a really good point that I think is one of the most challenging things for me is just that we do have an adversary who I think knows the importance of our understanding of our identity and what that means for our life and our experience. And that is at the center of a lot of times what he attacks. You know, a lot of times he'll directly connect what we're doing to who we are because he wants us to make that connection and to live from that place as opposed to the firm foundation of what God has done and who he says us, who says who we are. And so the challenge is just throughout the daily experiences and just through, you know, I, I think about it in parenting. I have two young children that I'm constantly figuring out what it means to parent and how to do it best. And when I don't do it best, I, I constantly hear that little lie that, you know, you don't have what it takes to be a good parent. You can't do this. And, and those are identity statements as to who, you know, God has made me and as a father. And I think, you know, a lot of times I have to use what we said earlier, that trust of who God says I am, despite my inability to be the perfect father, which again, I want to be, which speaks to my design, speaks to the heart that God's given me. But my, the challenges is how, you know, practically in that moment when I'm frustrated or something's not working out the way I want to, or I'm not performing the way I want, having to stand on what's true, regardless of what I've just said or done. And that's a perfect example because the parenting example, because if you are not clear on who you are and how you were designed spirit, soul and body, you will look to your kids or what you said coming out of your physical body or Mm -hmm. what you're feeling on the soul level, um, what decisions you're making. But if you're understanding, hey, I'm a three part being, I've got that spiritual part. That's the anchor. That's the the foundation. It brings you back to experiencing intimate peace. So now that we've talked about that, let's kind of bring the focus back to how this relates to Jesus. You know, I think that obviously because of the work of Jesus, what he did on the cross and how that establishes us in our new identity, I just, you know, I want you to take a second to see how God designed us and what he's done in our lives gives us clarity on who Jesus is. Well, I mean, I, you know, I mentioned earlier that Jesus was tempted in the same way. Yeah. And so Jesus is the perfect representation of God in physical form. So he's modeling this spirit, soul, body and how it was designed to live. Going back to what dad was talking about, submitting to God. Well, Jesus never did anything unless the father told him to do it or he saw. He says, I don't take initiative, right? Mm -hmm. And so we see Jesus living out this model of understanding who he was, making decisions, still feeling his feelings, and, and then manifesting it through his physical body. And so I think it just, it makes the Christian life come alive, so Mm. to speak. I think of Jesus in the last, the upper room before he was crucified. John says, basically knowing who he was and where he was going, he took off his outer garment and we see the behavior that's manifested as as washing feet. Mm -hmm. And so it gives me a clarity of how Jesus functioned in this world. He was a spiritual being. He was making choices with his soul to depend on his father and the spirit's life and then manifesting. So I think it makes the ministry of Jesus come alive in terms Mm -hmm. of understanding the gospels. Yeah. 
Yeah, I would agree with that. I would, that was pretty much what I had thought for the whole thing too, is that I love that Jesus had a fully functioning soul that was in complete surrender to the spirit. And Mm -hmm. so, I mean, everything he said, it's because my father told me, and I love that, that fully God and fully human, but really he understood that fully human side of it, Mm -hmm. that he had to continue to surrender his soul, that mind, will, and emotions, that personality, constantly surrendering it to his father. And I love that we know that he understands us and that's why. And so, I don't know, that's, it really does bring clarity around Jesus when we do understand all of it. Well, it it also brings clarity in the sense where Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And so in man's design, how does that happen? Okay. So God is spirit and that's, that's the concept of God. And, and therefore, God speaks through the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I've got to go, but I'm going to send the Spirit to live within you. And so now we have the Holy Spirit. And as we focus on the Holy Spirit, who is Christ, who lives within us, then we listen to His voice. And as we listen to His voice, then our soul can yield to that, our will can yield to that, and then we behave like Him. I had a pastor one time say that, Greg, if if, if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, then we're going to have to add that to Scripture. And the canon has already been closed after the last disciple died or the Apostle Paul died, that if you go around telling people the Holy Spirit spoke to you, then we're going to have to include that in Scriptures. We're going to add to the Scriptures, and we can't add to them. This was my pastor, and then on Sunday, he gets up in the pulpit, and he's talking about his marriage, the sermon on marriage. And he said, just the other day, I I sinned against my wife. I said something unkind to her, and I I started walking up the stairs in in the house. I got the top of the stairs, and the Holy Spirit told me that, (laughs) that that I needed to go and ask her forgiveness. So he said he went downstairs and asked his wife forgiveness, and and so after church service was over, he was standing at the entrance and bidding everybody goodbye. And so I went to shake his hand. I grabbed his hand and, and I kept shaking it. And he was wanting to let me go. But I, I wanted him to say, oh, I know what you mean, the Holy Spirit <laughs> speaking to you. But he never had a clue to it. But that that kind of damaged me for about 20 years as a Christian. Because, mm-hmm. man, I said, oh, I, I don't want to be heretical here. Mm-hmm. But that speaks directly to our design. We, God speaks to us through the Spirit. We speak to each other through the, the human body. Yeah, I believe it's in First John that talks about as He was, so are we in this world. Mm-hmm. And understanding design, like what Dad's saying about listening to the Spirit, we completely can understand. It doesn't mean that we're God. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it doesn't mean that that as He was God in this world, we become gods. No, no, no. It means that we can live the same way he lived, which was dependent on his father in union with the spirit, listening to the guidance of the spirit and then moving out and manifesting the love of God Mm -hmm. in this world. So I think it it gives us a beautiful picture of how Jesus moved and lived here on earth. Awesome. Well, I thank you guys so much for your discussion today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for all your insights and uh, thoughts. And I just want to leave you guys with this scripture that kind of sums up what we've talked about. But Psalms 139.14 says, I will praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Next week, we will look at the needs of humanity. We will discuss our internal needs, their purpose, and what we can learn about God and ourselves because of our neediness. 
The Living in Jesus podcast is a production of Christian Families Today and is produced and edited by Ross O'Hare and Ben Brazina. Christian Families Today is a nonprofit discipleship counseling, coaching, and training ministry focused on equipping men, women, and children in how to build biblically healthy lives and families. You can visit our website at cftministry.org to find this podcast, information about the Living in Jesus study, and other free content. If you were encouraged by this podcast, it would really mean a lot to us if you would take a minute and leave us a review. This podcast and all our free content is made available because of the generosity of people just like you from around the world. Until next week, thank you and God bless. God bless.